Good morning. Welcome to CBC. My name is Joe Valenti, and I'm one of the student pastors here. I work with our sixth through twelfth graders, and uh, so if you are a sixth or twelfth, you know, through twelfth grader in here, and you don't mo- and you don't know me, I'd love to meet you uh, after the service and get you connected to our programs. We are in a series in the Book of Romans called Right with God, where we are spending 25 weeks weeks in the Book of Romans, and I'm uh, personally really excited about. Uh, this, this, this journey that we're going to take over the next several months. And so uh, last week, Pastor Chad talked to us from uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. And in that text is uh, what Pastor Chad called the pinnacle of Romans, the main thesis statement in Romans 16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for, the, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. That is the main overarching goal of Romans, is to, is to show that. And today, we are going to look at why, why the gospel is necessary. Paul works his argument all the way through for the gospel. And today, we begin to look at the why, an argument basically from chapter 118 through 320 that talks about why everyone needs the gospel. And I've used that word a couple times already. And uh, I want to be clear on what the gospel is. And so if you're like me and last week you didn't have time to write all this down, maybe you want to grab your phone and take a picture. We're going to put it on the screen. Uh, This is going to be our working definition. There are a lot of different ways you could define the gospel, but Pastor Chad put this up last week, and I really like the, the succinctness and the clarity of this. The gospel is the message that God has made relationship with him and forgiveness from him available exclusively through faith and belief in Jesus Christ and his dying on the cross for our sin and rising from the grave to offer us eternal life. There is much more in the Bible, but that's a great definition of gospel. When I say that word over and over and over and over again today, that's what I'm talking about, our being restored to relationship with God exclusively through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So here's what I want you to do. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to ask everybody if you would just close your eyes for a minute and pretend that you're looking in a mirror and you see yourself in the mirror, but what this mirror is able to do is able to show you all of the sin in your life. It's able to show you some of the most shameful things that you've ever done and you're, and you're looking at them. Maybe those things are flowing through your mind right now. And maybe you're able to see the pain that you've caused others, the pain that you've caused your family, your spouse, coworkers, friends, and the consequences that have come as a result of that sin. And you can see maybe things that only God knows about that you've not shared with anybody else, places that your heart has gone or that your mind has gone that only you know about. I want you to land on just... A few of those things. Don't make it general. Think about a few of those things that are like, whew, that's a big one. And I want you to open your eyes. Those things, I have done the same thing over the last several weeks as I've prepared for this message. Those things are the reason that we need the gospel. And Paul's going Paul's to show us, Paul's going to show us how bad we are. We need the gospel because we are all really bad people. <laughs> There's the main statement of today. We need the gospel because we are all really bad people. 
And so my aim this morning is to talk uh, specifically, I think this text applies to three types of people, all of which I think are here this morning. Number one, first type of person is maybe when I say gospel, you have no idea what that means. You have no context. The first time you ever heard about it was when I put it on the screen. Or maybe you kind of knew about it, but you're not a church person. You didn't grow up in the church, but you know that like life is, life is a mess right now. Uh, life is a mess right now, and your sin has uh, brought tons of consequences into your life. And you're, and you're feeling the weight of that burden on your shoulders and in your life, and you've hurt people, and so you figured, hey, I'll try church. See if maybe that can help. I'm glad that you're here this morning. If that's you, if you're trying out our church, and you're not a church person, quote unquote, I'm glad that you're here. And my aim this morning is to show you that the gospel, the good news of Jesus, can rescue you from yourself and from the wrath of God. Person two you're here this morning, and you, maybe you are used to church. You come to church. You go to church. Wife wants you to go to church. Husband wants you to go to church. Mommy said you have to go to church. Uh, some sort of duty, and you come here, and you dress nice, and it's fine, but you've never really given your life to Jesus. You've never really experienced what Pastor Chad called last week the transformation of the gospel. You come here because you feel like, okay, like I got my Jesus thing in for the week, but there's been no gospel transformation in your life. You've never asked Jesus to come into your heart truly and forgive you of your sins and to live for him. My goal this morning for you is to show you that you're not okay. Maybe you think, like, hey, I've, I've never done anything really bad. I'm a pretty good person. I go to church. I have a nice house. I'm nice to my kids. There will be, the Bible tells us in Matthew 7, a lot of people who go to church and who end up before the judgment seat of God someday, and he will say, I don't know who you are. And that's terrifying because, folks, church does not get you to heaven. The blood of Jesus Christ Covering your sins is what gets you to heaven. So my goal this morning for those of you who are church people but are not, have not given your lives to Jesus is to, prove you, is, is to show you this morning that if you don't give your life to Jesus, you're going to go to hell. Number three, you recognize that you're a terrible sinner, that you have offended God and deserve hell, but you have accepted the righteousness of God by faith in Jesus Christ. And you've experienced that life transformation that comes with giving your life to Jesus. My goal for you this morning is as we look at this text, as we look in the mirror at the depravity of our sin, that your level of gratitude would be raised. That you would be so much more grateful for Jesus and the cross and the sacrifice that he has made for your sins. So those are my three goals this morning. As we look at this text, let's pray and we'll dig in. Father, we thank you uh, this morning for the book of Romans that... Uh, your Holy Spirit worked through Paul to write to give us all of these uh, in-depth, difficult sometimes things about who you are and our relationship to you. And today we're going to look at how bad we really are. Lord, help us to look in that mirror and to realize that we are bad people. We are sinful people. We are terrible people outside of Jesus Christ and that we all desperately need him. Guard me from error that I would preach your word with diligence. In your name we pray, amen. We're gonna begin in verse 16 so that we can see the whole piece. We're gonna read through the entire thing. Romans 1, starting in verse 16. I think as Pastor Chad said last week, strap up. Here we go. 
For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Whew, right? Now, before we dig in, I want to explain real quick. It can be really easy to read this text and go, oh, this is talking about somebody else at some other time because it talks in the past tense and it, Paul uses they. So they is not me, right? I'm off. Wrong. This was written initially uh, to, to the church in Rome and he was talking about the Gentile world. Right? And he's getting ready to make an argument also for the Jewish world, that everybody is under the wrath of God, that all of us are under sin. And so while he is making the argument in the way that he does here, speaking in past tense and talking about they, guess what? They is us. And past tense extends all the way through eternity. The, uh, the wrath of God is being revealed. The way that that reads in the Greek is present tense ongoing verb. So the wrath of God is being revealed now and without end, all the way through on unrighteousness and sin, okay? So that's the context for this. This is for you and for me, not the person next to you specifically, not your worry this morning, not the person that you know from work or your family member, you, right? I talked to a lady today and she said, man, I wish my brother would have been here. And I said, I wish you would have been here. <laughs> Hallelujah, no. Okay, this is, this is for you, this is for me. We are they, okay? And what it says in here is that the wrath of God is being revealed. Now, what, what, you, you may be like, hell, man, come on. I came here to learn about God's love and his mercy and his grace, all the good stuff that would make me feel happy. Why do you have to talk about God's wrath? Well, here's the thing. We love God's wrath when it's poured out on somebody else who's a bad guy, right? When 
rapists or people who are in charge of genocide or uh, world dictators or the guy that you can't stand in your office, right? We love God's wrath when it's poured out on what we think is more evil than us. We love that. But when it's poured out on us, when it gets personal, whoa, 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 I want loving God back. Well, here's the thing. God's wrath is absolutely necessary because God is holy and God is perfect. God is righteous. God is just. And so if he allows sin to run rampant without it being punished, he ceases to be that, right? Just like if, if, a, if a judge was sitting on the bench in his courtroom and all the evidence is laid out and this person is guilty, clearly guilty, and the judge just goes, I'll let him off. He's a terrible judge, right? If that person in that courtroom hurt your son or daughter, hurt your spouse, hurt your family member, and that judge let him off, you would be furious. And yet, God's wrath, we get upset about. I don't like that. Too bad. God's wrath is necessary because he is good and righteous and just. He is always working everything out perfectly and in absolute holiness. And God's wrath, so that's God's wrath. It's why it needs to be revealed. And God's wrath is being revealed against what here? All unrighteousness and all ungodliness. So again, I think it's easy. We can think of really bad things, like we, we, really bad things, right? That happen all over the world that we see on the news. And yet we like, well, I don't do those terrible things, so I'm not really bad. But this text says all unrighteousness, all ungodliness, so what are those things? They're actually really broad strokes that Paul is painting here. Un ungodliness is anything that does not give God the honor, the glory, the respect that he deserves. Anything that you say or do or hear that does not give God glory, honor, and respect is ungodliness. And unrighteousness is anything that you do that is immoral, that is contrary to God's perfect and holy character. Namely, okay, so those, those are the broad strokes. That's what Paul's talking about. Every sin from every person for all time, forever, the wrath of God is being poured out on it. Everything. Not just the stuff you see on the news that you think is really bad. Your sin, my sin, the wrath of God is being poured out against it. And so we are in desperate need of the gospel. I think I... Sorry, guys, back in the booth, I went over point one. <laughs> point one is we are in desperate need of the gospel because the wrath of God is being revealed against all unrighteousness. All unrighteousness. Yours and mine. All of our ungodliness, all of our unrighteousness, period. Number two, we, desperately, we are in desperate need of the gospel because God's revelation of himself renders us without excuse. It's gonna get harder here. Let's start back from verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Now, theologians talk about two types of revelation, that God has revealed himself in two main ways or types, I guess. 
Special revelation is revelation that has come from God. He has revealed himself to us in his word and through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Okay, special revelation is the information that we need about God to respond to the gospel. We need his word, we need the good news of the gospel so that we can respond to it. Okay, special revelation. The other kind of revelation that theologians talk about, which is talked about here in this text, is general revelation or natural revelation, that God has revealed himself to people in nature. Okay, that we can look around that we can look at nature and the way that things function and the beauty and like, this is cool, right? Like I can go, like my brain makes my fingers do that. That's way cool. But like we don't realize it, right? Like the sun comes up every day and God made that system. Like giant trees come out of little seeds, right? We, we can look around, this text says, and we, had, we know that there is God. God has implanted something in us because we are made in his image that we know that there is a God. And yet what happens is we suppress that truth. We don't, we don't, we don't like that. No, we don't want that in our sinful state. But what this is saying is that, too bad, you're accountable to God. You're without excuse. This is, this is one of the most difficult doctrines that you will wrestle with as a Christian. Because here's what it says. God revealing himself in nature is just enough information to make you accountable to God for your sin. It is not enough. It is not enough information to save you from that sin. Everyone in the world, according to this, is sinful and is accountable to God, period. And the only way the only way to be saved is through special revelation, through the Bible and through Jesus Christ. And so this is particularly difficult for the over 3 billion people in this world who have yet to be reached with the gospel. You want to know why we talk about being missionaries, church? Because that's not okay. We sit here in our comfortable homes, and I don't care what kind of house you live in here. We sit here in our comfortable homes, and we've been given the knowledge of Jesus. And yet so many of us stiff arm it every day, and there are people all over the world who have no knowledge of the gospel. They don't know who Jesus is. They don't know that there's salvation in him. This text says they can see, they can look around, that they know that there is a God, they are accountable to him, and in their sin, they reject him, and we need to take the gospel to them. This, this is a huge issue, and I don't, we don't have time to deal with it exhaustively this morning, but I want to encourage you to go to cvcblog.org, where Pastor Rick Duncan, our, our, our founding pastor and pastor of missions, has written extensively on this issue. I want you to dig into it. If it bothers you, good. If it makes you feel uncomfortable, good. Let's do something about it. Let's come out of our wallets. Let's take some vacation time and go across the world to take the good news to people who have yet to hear it, because they're accountable to God and they need to hear it. We are, desperate. we are in desperate need of the gospel because, one, the wrath of God is being revealed against all unrighteousness. Two, God's revelation of himself renders us without excuse. And three, our sinful reaction to God is refusal to worship him. Verse 21, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. 
Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So this is, this is, this is what happens. This is the great exchange that happens in our lives, and you see it every day. I see it every day in my heart, in my life. We exchange God's glory for other things that we like more, for things that make us feel good, for things that make us happy, for things we gratify the flesh, right? Paul talks about we love us instead of God. And that's what it's talking about here, that they exchange the glory of God for something else. We should look around. We should, we should look around. There's something that God has put in us. Notice, notice that the verbiage in this text is not ignorance. It is not as if God has hidden himself and we have to find him. This text that he has clearly been seen, clearly perceived, it's obvious, and yet we stiff arm that and instead worship ourselves, worship other things. This talks about creeping things and animals, right? Because it's talking about the Gentile pagan idol worship. And you may not have ever put together a bronze statue and slapped it down in the middle of Parma to worship it. However, what you do and what I do is we worship our phones or we worship the television or we worship sexuality or we worship money or we worship our home. Sadly, this place, this room, this building becomes an idol for some people. And we exchange the glory of God for the comforts in this building. I hear people all the time talk about, I love this church, instead of, I am in love with Jesus Christ. I love the things that we have for my children. I love that there's fancy lights. I love that Asa has a new haircut and looks trendy. I love that when I come in in the morning, Frank has a smile and he greets me. All this stuff is good, but it pales in comparison to the glory of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't make an idol of CVC, I'm begging you. If you are inviting people to this place because it's cozy, shame on you. That is secondary to the fact, hopefully, that the gospel is being preached in this place. You should invite people here because they're gonna hear the good news and the Holy Spirit can move in their hearts and their lives can be radically changed forever. <laughs> that's, why, that's why Paul's not ashamed of the gospel, because there's power in it for salvation for anyone who would believe. But we don't do that. We trade the glory of God for things that are pathetic, for lights that spin in a circle. R.C. Sproul, who's a pastor and theologian, says this, from Paul's perspective, the fact that an individual is religious does not minimize his guilt before God. Instead, it intensifies his guilt because God does not simply command man to be religious but to worship him properly. The fundamental prohibition of the biblical God is the prohibition against idolatry. Not only have men refused to worship God as God, but they have insulted the majesty of God by replacing him. Verse 19, claiming to be wise, they became fools. We prove over and over and over again, every day, our foolishness, when we pick our cars, our phones, our sexuality, our buildings, our money, our job, over the glory of Jesus Christ. We exchange that which is infinitely important for that which is fleeting. John Piper says it this way, we trade a diamond for the forgotten peach in the back of the refrigerator. 
We trade a diamond for the forgotten peach in the back of the refrigerator. Our reaction to God is refusal to worship him. Number four, we're in desperate need of the gospel because, excuse me, our sinfulness is complete, absolute, and damning. Verse 24, therefore God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. In that text, three times it says, and God gave them up to. God gave them up to. Three things, impure hearts, debased minds, and impure passions. And so we need to understand that. That's hard. What do you mean God gave them up? Did God give up? No, it's not what it says. It doesn't say that God gave up. Does God, is God unrighteously angry? No. Is he throwing a fit? Well then, fine. No, he's not throwing a fit like your five-year-old. What God is doing is his wrath, here's how God's wrath is being revealed in real time. God's wrath is being revealed in that when we exchange the truth of God for a lie, what he does is he allows us to spin deeper into the spiral of our sinfulness. It's hard to describe it as a human because what we're used to is revenge. We're used to, like, we think in context of, well, God's getting revenge. Well, God is being mean. Well, God is giving up. He's not. In his perfect righteousness and holiness, God is giving to us what we have asked for. You want pornography? You want to exchange that for me? Go ahead. We'll see what happens. You want money instead of me? Okay. We'll see where that gets you. See how much fulfillment you get. Here's, 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 the, here's the picture, right? And I've been trying to think of a way to do this. This is the only way I can think of it. Picture you're in a boat, right? And God is holding the boat in safe harbor. We're okay in the boat with God. And we can clearly see him. Oh, hey, Hey, God, thanks for holding the boat so that we don't die, right? We're in this river of life, and there are rocks, and there are waves, and there are dangers, and there's sin all around, and at the end of that is a giant waterfall. 
millions of feet down, and all that is there is death. If you go down that river of sin and life without God, without the gospel, you will fall off that cliff and you will die. You will go straight to hell for eternity, okay? That's the picture, and God is holding us, right? And it says, what do we do? We exchange the glory of this God for a lie. We say, right, we can see him, and yet we stiff-arm him, not interested, let go, leave me alone, I like myself better, I like my comfort better, I like my things better, I want to try and roll down this river by myself and see if I can hack it. And God goes, okay, and he gives us a little push out down the river. And we begin to float, and some of you have experienced this, I've experienced this. Things are going okay for a little while, but then, oh, oh. We start to hit some rocks. We start to hit some bumps. Sin starts to invade our hearts and lives. And that spiral of depravity and wrong passions and wrong things in our heart begins to spiral us downward deeper into our sin, right? And we're going down that river and it's getting worse. And we begin to hear, we begin to hear the roar of the waterfall, the roar of death. And at any moment, at any moment, the truth of the gospel is that at any moment we can see this, the Holy Spirit would open our eyes to it, that we are weighing over our heads, that we have no hope of saving ourselves from the waterfall, and God, through Jesus Christ, will snatch us into safety immediately. And yet we don't do that. <laughs> over and over and over and over again, we exchange the glory of God for something else. Josh Stone was talking to me this week, and he used to live in Virginia, and he said there was this group of guys that used to float down the river drinking, and that the farther they got, the drunker they would get, and the worse off, they wouldn't realize the dangers that were coming. And you would end up way at the end of the river, these guys holding, like with a, with a foot in one boat, holding on to these pylons, drunk as skunks, because they didn't realize what was about to happen until it was too late. And they had to be saved. It's the same thing with us. Our minds and our hearts and our passions outside of Jesus Christ just spiral and spiral and spiral. Until, if you do not give your life to Jesus Christ, it will be too late and you will stand before the judgment throne of God and he will say, depart from me, I never knew you. And you'll spend eternity in hell. I know that's not nice to say or you don't like it, but if we don't speak the truth, let's go home. Right? God gives us up to our dishonorable passions. Now, I just want to make one last point because here's, what's, here, here's, here's an issue. There are some of you in this room who everything I just said for the last five minutes has gone completely in one ear and out the other because all you're worried about is, is he going to talk about homosexuality? It's the only thing that's on your mind right now because you're hoping to have some more ammunition in your anti-homosexual canon, in your agenda. Shame on you. Shame on you. If you claim to know Jesus Christ and that's you, shame on you. I want to affirm this morning. I want to affirm, affirm quite clearly that this text deals with homosexuality. It does. It says quite clearly that one of the ways that God's wrath is being revealed when we exchange the glory of God is that he gives them up to dishonorable passions, to things that ought not to be done. And women and men exchange what is natural and what is normal and what is right for homosexual activity. And then Paul stops, right? That's the end of the whole text. Of course not. What does he do? He continues to list 
20 things that are also the result of God giving, of, of God giving us up in our sinful desires. So I want to affirm that this text does say that homosexual activity is wrong, that is sinful, that is shameful, that is unnatural. I want to also affirm this morning that when you cheat on your wife or your husband, it's wrong and unnatural. When you look at pornography on the computer or on your cell phone, it is sinful and, 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 and dishonorable and unnatural. When you are verbally or physically abusive to your wife or to your children or to your husband, it's wrong. It's unnatural. It's backwards. When you sin, when you lie, when you covet, when you steal, when you're angry at people, when you fight, when you gossip, on down the line, shameful, sinful, unnatural. I am sick and tired of two big issues, right? One, I'm sick and tired of Christians and churches who claim the name of Christ all over the world trying to sweep the issue of homosexuality under, under the carpet, not deal with it, and say that it's okay. That's ridiculous. But secondly, I'm really, 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 really tired of people who claim the name of Jesus, who have been forgiven of much, tons of things on that list, who for some reason want to exclude people who have homosexual tendencies or struggles from that grace. That is absurd, church. My dream for CVC, and I think what's inherent here, is that people with all kinds of struggles from all over the city, with heterosexual struggles and homosexual struggles, with marriage problems, relationship problems, lying problems, abuse problems, alcohol problems, drug problems, would come into here and would hear the good news of Jesus Christ that they can be free because of Jesus. If you, are, if you are here this morning and you struggle with same-sex attraction, you are welcome at CVC. And my prayer for you, I see this all the time. My prayer, I have plenty of friends that are homosexual. My prayer for them is, that they're, is not that they would not be gay. If my friends cease to be gay and don't have the good news of Jesus, they're gonna die and go to hell straight as an arrow. It doesn't matter what we need is for you and I and for the people around us to experience the life-changing transformation of the gospel and allow the Holy Spirit to change them because he can do what you and I can't. Amen. As we close this morning, I want to revisit those four things, and then those four types of people. We're in desperate need of the gospel because the wrath of God is being revealed against all unrighteousness. We're in desperate need of the gospel because God's revelation of himself renders us without excuse. We're in desperate need of the gospel because our reaction to God is a refusal to worship him. We are in desperate need of the gospel because our sinfulness is complete, absolute, and damning. We need the gospel, friends, because we are all bad people. And Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. But here's the good news in Romans 5. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to even die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, 
much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Here's the word picture. This is crude, but I'm going to give it to you. God is here, right? God is here in his perfection and his holiness and his goodness and his righteousness. And because of that, because of his holiness and his perfection and his righteousness, he cannot be okay with sin. He must punish sin. And what has happened is we have exchanged the truth of that holy God for a lie, for love of ourselves. And our minds and our hearts have been given up to do what ought not to be done. And here's, here's, here's the truth of the gospel. Jesus' death does not magically make God's wrath go away. Like a, like a smoke cloud. It's not what happens. God's wrath does not go away. What happens is God's wrath is being revealed against all of us and for eternity. And what he does is he interjects his son in front of his wrath. So on the cross, there was physical death, yes, and agony, yes. But what has happened is your sin and my sin and the sin of the world forever, for all eternity, all of the wrath, all of the wrath of God is poured out on Jesus. Every ounce of the wrath that you deserve for the things in the mirror is poured out on Jesus. And if you accept the gospel, if you accept the forgiveness of Jesus, that truth, there will be a day when we will all be judged and you'll stand in front of the throne of a holy God and he will count you as righteous. <laughs> That's crazy. He will count me as righteous. Not because of anything I've done, goodness gracious, but because he poured out his wrath on Jesus on my behalf. Oh, Christians, this is what I mean that the level of gratitude should go through the roof for that news. I want to revisit these three people. If you're here this morning and you've never been to church, welcome to church. I hope, I, I hope that you heard what I said this morning. The burden that you're carrying, the reason you came in here, whatever it is, the feeling in your gut, in your heart, in your mind that something's not right, it's a right feeling, something's not right. But today, today, right now, you can give your life to Jesus and the righteousness of God will be credited to you through his blood, through his death on the cross, and so do it. You don't have, you don't, you don't have to say some magic prayer. You can say, Lord, I give you my life. Would you take my sin away and help me to live for you? There you go. Those of you who come to church on a regular basis, maybe you're sitting in here and there's something that's still, like you're mad at me. Maybe you need to go look in the mirror again. Right? Maybe you can't get over something I said because it makes you feel unhappy. Maybe you need to go look in the mirror again. Churchgoer, person who has made CVC this building an idol, you have an opportunity today to give your life to Jesus. The main goal of this building is not that you would feel comfortable, it's that you would feel terribly uncomfortable until you give your life to Jesus. 
And I, I hope you do. I hope you feel really uncomfortable. And that you would, you would own your sin. You're bad. You're terrible. You're terrible. I am too. I'm terrible. But I've been redeemed and bought by the blood of Jesus. And you can have that today. By giving your life to Jesus. Christians, those of you who have given your life to Jesus. I just, I want to encourage you this morning as we sing and as we close, we're going to sing a couple songs, that your mind and your heart would be freshly um, confronted with the complete depravity of yourself, the grossness of your sin, and the wonder, the absolute astonishing wonder that God would put his son in front of his wrath for you that it would make you jump around and clap and sing, that our voices would blow the roof off this place. As I've been thinking about it this week, it's my mom and dad are here. They know how bad I am. (laughs) (laughs) My wife's here. That God would do that. Really, this week I have found myself so many times. I just feel like, oh, Lord, That you would save me is astounding. Holy, holy, holy. Jesus, for going in front of the wrath of the Father on my behalf, worship you. There's a song that we sing here. It says, I'm coming to kiss the feet of mercy. Oh, church, that we would do that. This wouldn't be a place where we come on Sunday to be comfortable, but this would be a place where we come to kiss the feet of mercy. That your minds and your hearts would be filled, filled with gratitude afresh today. I want to give you a few moments just to let this all sink in. Ace is going to sing a song. You don't have to sing it. I just want you to spend some time with the Lord and whatever it is, whatever it is you need to do, whatever it is you need to confess, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, Pray and ask him to come into your life. Do it right now. There's forgiveness right now in this moment. Christian, if you have taken for granted the goodness of God, glorify him. Get on your knees. Put your face into this gross floor and, 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 and worship him. Don't let that stop you. Goodness gracious. And then we'll come back and close. Amen. The death of Jesus conquered sin and death forever. And it offered complete forgiveness to anyone who would come. To anyone who would ask for it. It's there, available. If you've not given your life to Jesus, I'm pleading with you this morning that you would do it. That you would give your life to him. The Bible says that he'll renew your mind. He'll take out your heart of stone replace it with his heart. You can respond. There's, there's a little response card in your program. If you'd like to respond, you can do that. We'd love to follow up with you. A pastor will connect with you. If you'd like to talk to somebody more about this, they're still like, hey, I'm not ready to, I'm not ready to be done yet. I just want to encourage you. There are folks back in this corner. They'll turn on those lights in a second. And what will happen is, 
uh, we're going to sing another song, and I want to encourage you to go back there. There are pastors and staff people and volunteers that will pray with you, that could tell you about Jesus, what it means to have a relationship with him. Don't, don't, one, of the, one of the things that can very easily happen here is because you have to leave and the next service has to come in. I believe that Satan would love if you would just stand up and walk out the doors and act as, as if everything is okay. And you'll turn on the radio and begin to forget these things. If you need to spend some time here, that's okay. If you want to go pray with someone, that's okay. Take time to do that. And if you're a Christian, if you have received the gift of Jesus Christ and you're here, I want to encourage you to worship more fully. That your gratitude would be elevated as you drive home today. That your gratitude would spill out as you talk to your family. That, that you would be, as Paul says in verse 16, unashamed of the gospel because in it there is power for salvation, that you would look daily in the mirror of the sin that used to be yours and has been taken in Jesus, and that would encourage you and give you the strength to take the good news to all of your friends, all of your coworkers, all of your family who have not yet received it. God forbid that our acceptance of the gospel may make us boastful or prideful or seem as if you don't deserve this, I do. Let gratitude overflow and become unashamed. The gospel is the greatest news in the whole world for everyone.